This evening we set aside to take communion, to receive the, the bread and the cup, and we don't study for as long, but we worship for longer. But I still want you to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, because here it speaks of Jesus being crucified in weakness. Let's read the first few verses. This will be the third time I am coming to you. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. I have told you before and foretell as if I were present the second time. And now being absent, I write to those who have sinned before and to all the rest that if I come again, I will not spare. Since you seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, who is not weak toward you, but mighty in you. Paul's detractors were saying, show us some power, Paul. Show us that you're really from God. Show us that Jesus is really speaking through you. They criticized Paul because his physical appearance was weak. They said his letters are really powerful. They say a lot of incredible things. But when we see him in person, he's pretty puny. And now, look what... Paul does. He says, Christ is mighty in you. He's writing to the church. He's writing to the Corinthian church. And Christ is mighty in you, and he's mighty toward you. And who shared the gospel with you? Who taught you the word of God? Who told you about the love of Jesus? Wasn't it me? Wasn't it Timothy? And isn't that proof enough? You see, when his detractors are saying, show us power, he says, look at your own lives. Haven't you experienced Christ? Does he not dwell in you? Is he not mighty on your behalf? This is exactly the point that Paul made way earlier in the book, way back in the, the third chapter. Do you remember when he wrote this? 2 Corinthians 3, 2. You are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of your heart. So he says, isn't Jesus alive in your life? Hasn't he saved you? Isn't he working in you? And who was a part of that? Who ministered into your lives? It was Timothy, and it was Paul. Therefore, you are your own evidence. What an argument. If you really know God and you want to see the power of God, in, in the ministry of Paul, just look at your own life. Then he says something else. If you skip to verse 4, the second half. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God towards you. Paul is saying, you're evidence, but we're also evidence. You seek proof, you seek power. When we come, you're going to get that power. You're going to get that proof. Because everything we've written in our letter, we're going to live out before you in person, just the way that we did before. God's power lived out. We might not look powerful because we're not big. We might not look powerful because we've been persecuted and we're weak in, in body, but we're, we're mighty because of the resurrection of Jesus. Look at the beginning of verse 4. This is a part of our remembrance this evening. For though he was crucified in weakness, 
the detractors, the critics, they're pointing out Paul's weakness and saying that he's not worth following. Now Paul brings the ultimate proof of power because he directs their eyes to Jesus. For though he was crucified in weakness, Jesus allowed himself to be weak. He caused himself to be lowly when he was crucified. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You know that from Philippians chapter 2. They yelled out, he saved others. Let him save himself. And they were blind to the humility that Jesus was showing right there, that he laid down his power and became weak so that he could save us. He was willing to be weak. By not saving himself, he was saving others. He could have called on his father and he would have sent 10,000 angels, but he didn't do that. Look here in verse 4. The, the cross was not a display of strength. It was a display of weakness, wasn't it? The Almighty God allowing himself to be weak, and then the resurrection is the display of power. But Jesus lived out more perfectly than anyone, just like every other time, this truth that we learned earlier. When I am weak, then I am strong. Jesus becoming weakness for us, so that he could defeat death on our behalf. He became weak so that the Father's will could be accomplished, would be accomplished. The cross was not a time to display strength. It was a time to take on weakness for your sake and for my sake. The reason you should come to Christ is the cross. The reason you should come to Christ is because he loves you, and he proved it by hanging on a tree and taking your sin. Now, I admit the benefits of salvation on this earth are, are many. But the reason you should come to Christ is because of his love for you. His love should, should change your life and cause you to turn to him and say, who are you that you would love me enough to be tortured in my stead? When we eat the bread and we drink the cup, yes, it is a ritual, but it is a command from Jesus. It's a command from the Lord himself. When, when we take the bread and the cup, we're remembering how he gave his life on Calvary. The mighty becoming weak. The strongest of all time, ever and forevermore, becoming the suffering servant in our place. Mighty to save, we sing that, but mighty to save in his weakness. Jesus submitted himself to that to being spit upon and to be scoffed at. He submitted himself to the nails that were driven through his hands and to that crown of thorns that was weaved together and then pressed down on his head. He gave himself to weakness, beating and bleeding. And so Paul's argument here is, okay, we are, we are weak. We are persecuted. In your mind's and from your perspective, we're not much. But isn't that also true of your Savior? The prophet Isaiah tells us that Jesus wasn't anything to look at in his person. That there wasn't anything about his form or his majesty that would cause people to come to him and say, wow, look at him. He's, he's got to be our leader. And even in his death, he was beaten beyond recognition. He was made weak. He was broken. His flesh was broken for me and for you. So we're learning this truth that weakness 
isn't necessarily bad. Now, I, I don't like feeling weak at all. Most of us don't. Just, not just the feeling of weakness, but the reality that we, we are weak. But here we can see the victory of the cross was won in weakness, wasn't it? For though he was crucified in weakness, amazing truth. Now we're going to get to the power also in the middle of the verse there, God willing, if we get to study it on Sunday. But I want you right now to turn so we can read of the weakness of the Lord in his crucifixion. Now, willingly weak, still holding all power, but willingly submitting himself. Turn to Matthew 26 so you can see how meek Jesus was, how he submitted himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is Matthew 26, 60. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. But at least two false witnesses came forward and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. 62. And the high priest arose and said to him, Do you answer nothing? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, It is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the priest tore his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of witnesses? Look now, you have heard his blasphemy. What do you think? They answered and said, He is deserving of death. Then they spat in his face and beat him, and others struck him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy to us, Christ, who is the one who struck you? Now go forward to Matthew 27, 22. Pilate said to them, What then shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? And they said to him, Let him be crucified. Then the governor said, Why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. And the people answered and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him, and they stripped him, And put a scarlet robe on him. And when they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Then they spat on him and they took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they took the robe off him and put his own clothes on him and led him away. 
to be crucified. Now as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they had come to a place called Golgotha, that is to say, place of a skull, they gave him sour wine mingled with gall to drink. But when he had tasted it, he would not drink. Then they crucified him and divided his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Sitting down, they kept watch over him there, and they put over his head the accusation written against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right, another on the left. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. The scoffers, their own words would be fulfilled. Isn't it true? Jesus would rebuild that temple in three days. Jesus would come off of that cross. He would defeat death and live forevermore to be the exchange for our sins, the pardon for our sins. Today, when you receive the bread, and I hope that you will, it represents Jesus' body and all that he went through. Every bit of pain and every bit of agony that his flesh endured to take our sin upon him. And then the cup represents his blood that was shed for us. Life is in the blood. Jesus' life, eternal life, given to you if you will receive it. Communion is for Christians. It's for those who put their faith in Jesus. It's for those who have Jesus as Lord. At the same time, Jesus didn't give us this to push us away. Instead, he gave us the bread and the cup to pull us in, to say, come and remember that I'm your sacrifice. Come and remember that I've given everything for you. Don't let the day pass by and just get caught up in the rat race. Instead, remember why you're forgiven. It's because I took your place on the cross. And so as you get the opportunity to receive the bread and the cup, do it in a worthy manner. That doesn't mean you're worthy. It doesn't mean you don't have sin. In fact, it means all of us have sin. But we see our sin and we say, here it is, Lord. That's all you have to do is say, I know I'm a sinner. Take my sin. Be my Lord. An unworthy manner is if we won't look at our sin. An unworthy manner is if we won't admit our sin and abandon it and live for the Lord. So if you'll come and give him your sin, he'll give you life. Pretty good trade, huh? <laughs> if you'll come and just admit the reality of who you are and who you've been, then he will give you eternal life. And today, you can begin fellowship with him, walking with him, hearing his voice. So many of us are rejoicing in this all day long. And now we get to come and we remember. And by doing this, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus, all of us, all the children in this place, all those who believe in you, just tell you thank you for being weak on our behalf. Thank you for laying down 
your strength. Thank you for not tapping into your strength. Thank you for not rescuing yourself so that we could be free. We stand here a weak people, Lord, and we know that you became weak for us. We stand here a, a needy people, people who need forgiveness and need healing. And so as we come to you, we don't just do so with a prayer that's words, Lord, but we do so with a prayer that's our lives. And I pray that the young and old in this place alike would, would drink with gladness because your blood has washed away our sins. I pray that those who have received the bread many, many times and those who have never received it before will receive it today. And they would remember how you let your body be torn and beaten and bruised and bludgeoned for us. I praise your name for being separated from your father for that time so that I wouldn't have to be separated. I thank you for bearing my sin so that I wouldn't have to bear it myself, Lord. It's too heavy for me. I thank you for carrying the sin of the world in your meekness and in your humility, Lord. That's what you did. I pray that even now as you call to those who are lost, that they would realize that they're lost and they would come and be found. That you, the shepherd, the, the saving shepherd, would, would be their strength. Lord, the power that we have now is not ours. It's the power of the empty tomb. The power that we have now is, is the power of the Spirit. It's the power that raised you from the dead. And we give you praise. And we thank you, Lord Jesus.